When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. So many fun things are happening in my Patreon community. Last week, my conversation with Jen Bird, owner of Athena Books in Old Greenwich, Connecticut, dropped. Jen talks about what it takes to open a new bookstore in today's world. It was a fascinating conversation. This week, Bookstagrammers Greer and Natalie of Cocktails and Common Reads talk about their favorite and not-so-favorite shared reads. I have already started listening to one of their recommendations, and it is outstanding. I put the rest on my list. I also just added two pre-publication reads and author chats. Patron participants will have the opportunity to read Home or Away by Kathleen West and The Cartographers by Peng Shepard and have chats with both of those authors prior to each book's publication. It is a fun opportunity that I don't think you'll find anywhere else. The link to join is in my show notes. I hope you will consider it. I would love to have you. Today, I am chatting with Bob Dillenschneider about nailing it how history's awesome 20-somethings got it together. He is founder of the Dylan Schneider Group. Headquartered in New York and Chicago, the firm provides strategic advice and counsel to Fortune 500 companies and leading families and individuals around the world, with experience in fields ranging from mergers and acquisitions and crisis communications to marketing, government affairs, and international media. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome, Bob. How are you today? Cindy, it's great to uh, be with you, and thank you so much. I am so glad you're here. I was completely engrossed with your book. Once I sat down to start reading it, I just was fascinated and I have so many questions. But before we start with all of my questions, why don't you just tell me a little bit about Nailing It, how history's awesome 20-somethings got it together for those that won't have read it yet. Right. Well, I wanted to do something that taps into people who were in their early part of their business careers. And the reason I wanted to do it is I think we're in a situation now in the United States, where we have to pass the baton 
the leadership has to go from people who are 70 and 80 years old to people who are much younger. So I wanted younger people to sense that there was an opportunity for them. They could do something. And here were some people that did it and uh, became hugely successful. And I'm sure that's going to happen again. It's probably happening right now without our knowledge. But that's the reason I wrote the book. And so far, it's been ex- extremely well received. I just loved it. I was completely engrossed. I loved learning about the people I didn't know and then learning more about the people I did know. And with two daughters in college, one who's a junior, trying to decide exactly what she wants to do and feeling like she sort of has to map it all out right this very minute. And me explained to her, no, 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 especially these days, people are going a million different directions and they change career paths all the time and it's wide open for her. So I think a book like this will really appeal to her to kind of calm her down and let her realize that she doesn't have to make every large decision right now. Well, I, I hope it does. I, I really want young people to look into themselves and say to themselves, I'm a pretty important person. I've got some pretty important qualities. There's something I could do. A lot of people come out of college or in college and they're drifting. They don't, don't know really what to do. And I think it's fairly easy to figure out what to do. You just have to focus on it. And I hope the book will help people do that. Well, I also think with the pandemic and everything else that's been happening the last couple of years, things are in such flux. And so, you know, some careers are probably going away. There are probably some careers that are just beginning. We're probably at a turning point for a lot of that. And so to also understand, get started with one thing, but you may head in any number of directions as you get older. Uh, No question about it. I think that uh, while there are many careers that really have evaporated, there are many that are new and growing. And a lot of them are growing in terms of how do you make progress? How do you help whoever you're working with move the next step? Uh, it used to be there were people on assembly lines and there still are, still, are, still are people like that. But there's much more to do these days. There's much more fulfilling. So that's one of the purposes of the book, again, to get people to think about what they can do and how they can do it. Well, how did you end up writing the book? I mean, where did the inspiration come from? How did you decide to turn it into a book? How did all of that work for you? I've written 18 books now. And uh, the 17th book was a book called Decisions. And it was extremely well received. It was decisions taken by top people all over the world. And it's not, it did very well. And my editor said to me, why don't you write a book about people who have made decisions? And we kind of talked about that one night over a drink and, uh, and came to the conclusion we should do this. So I researched, Cindy, well over 100 people. And uh, actually, 80 didn't make it into the book, but uh, they should have made it into the book. Maybe they should be part of a sequel. But uh, in researching the people, it was clear that there were some pretty significant individuals who did some pretty significant things. I mean, Mozart, who leads the book, uh, wrote music at the age of 13 and is still being heard today. And uh, his parents and others around him who were older didn't like the fact he was writing music. They said, what is this going to add up to? Well, it certainly worked out. Ulysses S. Grant started and he was uh, really nothing. He was a soldier in the Union Army. And he worked his way up, clawing, pushing, stepping every bit of the way, taking a lot of drinks along the way and became an alcoholic. But then he morphed into becoming the president of the United States. And he was generally regarded today as one of the really significant presidents of the USA. So there are a lot of stories like that in, in the book. Well, and speaking of Ulysses S. Grant, obviously I know who he was and what he was known for in terms of the Civil War and then as president. 
But I didn't know a lot of the details in between. I didn't even know he was an alcoholic. So it was wonderful to fill in more details about some of these people that I was aware of, as well as learning about some that I didn't know about. But I can't even imagine trying to narrow it down to 25. And it's an eclectic group. I mean, that must have been so hard. You come up with a list and I'm amazed it was just 100. I would bet it could be a lot larger. And then you just have to kind of slowly chip away. I mean, what did that look like for you? Well, a lot of these people you read are left on the cutting room floor. And uh, I remember years and years ago, a very prominent person in New York told me that they wanted to do a book of photography of the top 50 people in New York. And I said, don't do it. And the person looked at me because they were a, a really top photographer as well as a good writer. And they said, why not do this? This will be a great book. And I said, don't do it because the 51st person will hate you. And uh, that, in fact, happened. There were 51 and beyond were not in the book. So I've received a number of calls from people, I don't want to say who they are, who want to be in this book, and they're not in the book, uh, or who are, who want their mom or dad to be in the book, or their business partner to be in the book. And what I've said to all of them is, I'm really happy you called. Obviously, John Doe deserves significant attention, but not for this book, probably for the sequel. I was just going to say, so you do need to do a sequel. No question. And I think that there's plenty of material to do just that. I am reminded of I.M. Pei, the architect, who was born in China, moved to the United States, wanted very much to make a name for himself, and did. And uh, there are many architects now in the United States who think they're the equal of Pei. Actually, not even close. But uh, I'll never forget being with Pei in Paris. And he and I met with Francois Mitterrand and Jacques Chirac, the mayor of Paris, and he head of the French government. And Pei was proposing the pyramid in front of the Louvre. And Mitterrand said, there's no way we're going to do this. The Louvre is this wonderful building, and this pyramid is just gets in the way. At which point Chirac stood up and said, Francois, we must do this. The French understand how to push the envelope and do different things. That's what we as Frenchmen, French people, have done over the last several centuries. And that's literally how the pyramid got launched. That was one of my favorite chapters. Paris is my all-time favorite city. I love visiting there. We always go by the Louvre, usually into the Louvre, but if not, you know, we're walking in that area, taking our photo in front of the pyramid and looking at it all. And I remembered when the design was first published and people were so incensed that this is what was going in front of the Louvre. And then you talk about it at the end that he then has subsequently won an award for that very pyramid. And I think it's just a matter of time for a lot of these things. You talk in your book about how he said he couldn't even walk down the street in Paris without people harassing him that first year after it was done. That's exactly right. Well, I actually looked up all of his works after I read that chapter because I was trying to remember. I knew I was familiar with some of his other projects, but I wanted to kind of be reminded. He did so many things. Yes, he did. Well, did you have a favorite of the 25? I mean, as you look back on them, is there any one of them that you just think about regularly or just kind of stood out to you? Jackie Robinson really changed the world. But again, as we talked about in the front of this talk, Branch Rickey was the guy that really made it happen. And I think there are so many people like Branch Rickey who are behind the scenes. They don't take the glory. They don't seek the glory, but they do the work behind the scenes. I think that chapter really stood out to me as well because I was not familiar with Branch Rickey. I'm a huge baseball fan. My son is a huge baseball player. We follow it all pretty closely. And of course, I know Jackie Robinson, but I did not know Branch Rickey. And not only was he instrumental in Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, but he also did all sorts of other cool things like minor league farm teams and other inventions that you mentioned in the book. So I was very happy to learn about him. He did a lot, Cindy. And of course, you're from Houston and I'm from New York. So you know how we feel about people in Houston in baseball. <laughs> yes. We're concerned 
you guys were stealing the signs. I don't know if that actually happened. Which the Yankees do every single season. Just so we are as clear here, I will step in. This is something that my household talks about regularly, but that's okay. We don't have to argue Astros Yankees. The Yankees will be back this season, by the way. This should be a good year for us. Yeah, we'll see. I do actually like Aaron Judge. He's fun to watch play. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Great ball player. Yes, he is. But we're not huge Yankees fans here. (laughs) Well, what surprised you the most when you were researching? It's the little uh, things that people didn't know. The Ricky example is a a good one, but every single one of them uh, had examples like that. Mozart had people that in his family that really didn't like his music and tried to discourage him from doing it. Uh, Helen Keller was, by many people, cast aside and told she couldn't do anything. Well, Helen Keller, Keller just kind of sucked it up and put her head down and went through the wall. She a fantastic human being that she was able to pull this off. There's a woman named Edith Piaf, who was a fantastic singer. And again, she had some pretty rough moments in the beginning up in Bomarcha, but her music and her voice was so unique and uh, it really carried through. There was a person I was going to put in the book, but I didn't, and it's Frank Sinatra. And Sinatra was, I mean, a person of real caliber. But the reason I didn't put him in the book was because the real key to Sinatra was not his voice. It was terrific. Not his lyrics. They were generally written by somebody else like Fred Epp. But it was the arrangers that worked for Sinatra. They really made Sinatra's case. And uh, uh, I just think Frank obviously was at the top of the pyramid, took a lot of credit for it. But the arrangers are the guys that really did it. There's a singer named Whitney Houston. That I used to, I used to know very well before she passed away. Same situation. Whitney had a tremendous voice, but the people who wrote for her, the people who did her communications, the people who did her legal work, all behind the scenes, none got credit. Whitney got the credit, but the other people should have received some degree of attention. They just didn't didn't happen for them. So, is that one of the reasons you didn't include those two? That's one of the reasons I didn't include <laughs> those two. Yeah, I mean, so not everybody knows that. There are books and books about Sinatra, and the guy is terrific. I think his music is fantastic. It's just that Nelson Riddle is the guy that made it happen. He was the branch Ricky of Sinatra's life. But I think Sinatra also just has something about him. You know, he was just so charismatic, and I think that just drew people to him as well. I think that's right. Another reason I didn't put Sinatra in, and I don't know anything about this except rumor. Uh, Sinatra was rumored to be part of the mob. Right. And I didn't want to have any money in the mob. I mean, you can succeed, but not through the mob. It's the wrong way to do it. But Sinatra was told by people, as I understand it, in Vegas and elsewhere, you have to do this. And he did it and uh, did it well, obviously. But uh, I did not want to have the Gambino family buying copies of the book with the Lucchese's. I wonder why they, what was happening to one of their people. But what do you hope your readers take away from the book? I can do it. In other words, there's something in me that I can do. And uh, it's somewhat undiscovered. And what I have to do is look within myself and say, I can do it. I can uh, take it to a higher level, and it'll be very important. A lot of people will really like it, and uh, I'll feel good as a result of it. It'll t- tap into my creativity. Everybody in the, in the world has a level of creativity. I don't care who, who it is. And uh, I really would like that level of creativity to be tapped. God knows we, we need it right now. I was speaking to Henry Kissinger the other day. Well, I wanted Henry in the book, too, by the way. But he made it very clear he did not want to be in the book. Really? Absolutely. Yeah, he would have been a good addition. I spent several hours interviewing Kissinger. And uh, at one point, I said, Henry, you don't need an introduction. 
And Kissinger said, I may not need one, but I sure like one. And, uh, uh, and he was introduced. He was quite, quite a guy, still quite a guy. That's so interesting. And that was really one of the things I wondered as I was reading the entire time were the number of people that had to be left out because 25 seems like a large number when you start, but when you really start thinking about the wide breadth of people and you cover kind of all, all different types of people too. So it's not like you're in just the arts or just science or something. So really trying to narrow it to 25, I couldn't even imagine. Artists, fantastic people who uh, made life very, very different. Jasper Jones, there is an artist in the book named Honoré Daumier. He's a Frenchman. I have more Daumiers in my collection, I think, than anybody else in the world. Daumier wrote political cartoons. Uh, by He was taken by Matisse and Monet and the others in that school, and he was outcast. But he continued to do what he did and influenced a lot more people than uh, Monet and Matisse. But today, uh, Daumier is, uh, is pretty much forgotten, but a tremendous human being. I didn't recognize his name either. I had to look it up and look him up and see what he had done. So I was I was sort of like, oh, that's one of the ones I didn't know. But you also have Basquiat. I think that's how you pronounce his name. And I have always thought his art was fascinating. And in fact, I think he's part of that, the artist that died at age 27 group. And that's what kind of one of the things I first thought about when you were talking about 20 somethings with your book, because, you know, there's that whole realm of singers and painters that have all died at 27. And I think he's one of them. Uh, he is one of them. And the reason all these young men and women died, uh, obviously, there's many reasons, but I think that uh, and bad health being one of them. But I think that they poured a lot of themselves into their lives and careers, and it took a tremendous amount of energy from them. And that's one of the reasons they had a problem in life. I also think that in many cases, they were highly successful. And in a world that uh, doesn't necessarily celebrate success, uh, they took some shots. And I think emotionally and morally, that caused a problem for them as well. So uh, I think it's tough. A lot of people died at an early age. Shouldn't have happened. Absolutely. And I also think sometimes some of those people that are very creative are tortured as well, you know, that they sometimes almost seem to go hand in hand. Robin Williams was a, a tremendous actor. He's gone now, of course. But uh, he was, as he appeared in film and on stage, he was a funny man. That's what he did. But the challenge Williams had was that he was tortured internally. I don't, I really don't know why, but uh, I know that he was really wrapped up in many different things, and they took an awful lot of energy from him. Count Basie was the same way. Basie was a fantastic uh, musician, a uh, fantastic uh, performer, but Basie, I think, uh, wanted very much to do things. And this was, again, just before the color line really was broken. And basically couldn't do it. That was an enormous challenge for him. Yeah. And it's just interesting because I do think those things seem to go hand in hand at times and makes it harder for those people. And it is sad that they're all lost so young. It is. So, Bob, was there anyone else that you wish you could have included in the book that you weren't able to? Well, the person I would like to have in the book, who is my favorite, is my wife. I have been married for 52 years. My wife, Jan, is an incredible painter. Her work is all over the world. She has a gallery dedicated to her in New York City. She is a remarkable person, but after her, ta her talent, which is quite extreme, she's a terrific person for my sons and for me, and helped us all along the way as we were growing up. So my hero, or heroine in this case, is my wife, Jan. 
really a special person. I uh, don't think Jan has ever said a bad thing about anybody in life. I just don't think it's happened. Uh, she's a wonderful person, a great, a great model. I wish my dad was in the book. I'll never forget my dad when I was coming out of college. I didn't know what to do. I was in Columbus, Ohio, and I decided that well, I didn't really know what to do. And my dad came home. He never came home from work at lunch. And we sat there eating a tuna fish sandwich. He handed me a $100 bill and a ticket on a bus, a Trailways bus, to go to New York. And he said, take the bus, see what you can do in New York. I said, but Dad, he said, just see what you can do. Take a shot at it. So I did take the Trailways bus. The last thing my father said to me was, I want you to know, if for some reason it doesn't work out, I'm here for you. That was a huge thing for me. And uh, he, he's a hero of mine. I wish he was in the book. I love that. That's so nice because that is one of the things you also talk about in the book is how especially some of these women didn't have much parental support. Uh, that's true. Most of the people in the book didn't have any any parental support. Uh, most of the people in the book had parents who were difficult, uh, who did not admire them, who did not encourage them. Uh, and that was a serious problem. Steve Jobs had parents that really tried to discourage him from his career. But look at what this guy did. I mean, there are, there are all kinds of situations like that. Again, Coco Chanel, a remarkable person. Uh, her parents are really figures of history that are lost in the dustbin. They didn't do much for her, but she did it herself. And I think that's another message from the book, which is it's great to have help, but you can do it yourself. And you just have to suck it up and figure out a way to do it. Absolutely. Well, Bob, thank you so much for joining me today in the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I loved your book, and I can't wait for everybody else to read it as well. Cindy, you're terrific. It's great to be with you on the show. Again, your reputation precedes you. So thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.